Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So I want to uh, share with you a, um, a science fiction novel I've been writing. I need a little help with the plot. It's, uh, it's about this esoteric school up in uh, remote mountains somewhere. <clears throat> and they are studying the Orphic mystery tradition in ancient Greece. <clears throat> and they learn about Tartarus, which is, of course, the lowest uh, level of hell. It, 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 this, uh, this level, by the way, exists in every tradition. In the uh, Vedic tradition, it's called Rao Rao Narak. Right? There's Narak, and there's Rao Narak, and there's Rao Rao Narak. You don't want to go to Rao Rao Narak. No one ever returns from that inferno. Well, anyway, they start studying, uh, you know, what it means to be in Tartarus and uh, uh, the symbolic implications. And suddenly they all realize in a split second, we are in Tartarus. We've been sent to Tartarus. And this is our hell realm in which we have to face the hell of our ego. What could be worse? So the name of the novel, of course, is Escape from Tartarus. But I have to figure out how we escape. <laughs> I'm working on it. So the first rule, if you find yourself in hell, is if, uh, if God offers you a job, take it. Okay? In the hell realm, there are double agents. God sends people in or recruits them in order to do surveillance on the devils and to uh, get more information for... Uh, the, the realm of light for the angels to help keep things in balance. So a certain number of double agents get recruited every so many eons in order to uh, uh, retrieve a few people to do some, uh, some great escapes of a few of the, the darkest demons that actually uh, God thinks might be turned and might be useful for the light. But, uh, but they are really tough customers in uh, Tartarus. And uh, they, they uh, tend to be too skeptical uh, about uh, the existence of God to even believe that if they're offered such a job, that it could be real. So we have to deal with a lot of cynicism. So most, uh, most of the Tartarians uh, don't actually uh, get out, even though they're offered a passport. So, uh, we have to figure out then, what is it that would hold someone in a hell realm when they actually have the freedom to leave? And I actually think this was figured out in the early 1800s. It was, it was figured out by a German theologian named Friedrich Schleiermacher. I'm sure you all know his writings. He lived from 1768 to 1834, and uh, a German Protestant theologian. And he maintained that... Uh, 
there were two reasons why people were attracted to religion. So, religion, which of course postulates the existence of God, and he said that one was, yes, a, he said a taste for, but, uh, whoops, taste. Or what I think more a yearning or infinity. And uh, the other slope was uh, the ego's feeling of absolute dependency. And so it wanted to know that there was some force somewhere it could depend on. <clears throat> now, in the more postmodern period, people tend to assuage their yearning for infinity by having certain glimpses of a pseudo-infinity by altered states of consciousness, or others will do it through studies of science that in some way will give them a sense of the infinite, or a study of mathematics. In fact, most uh, mathematicians, I think, study it in order to uh, get a sense of infinity in the form of numbers. And, uh, and, and you get a lot of... Uh, of very mad uh, mathematicians, often clinically diagnosed as psychotic, but who, who create uh, mathematical theories of infinity. Georg Cantor is one, and there are a number of, of others. And, and mathematics has really led the way uh, in the development of the understanding of the transfinite, for example. <clears throat> so this yearning for infinity uh, and the yearning for, let's say, uh, I would add to it, archetypal powers that transcend the human, uh, the human level of, uh, of divine uh, energies, let's say. So we have these two sides, one of which is based on a, a, a sense of, uh, of lack and the other, a, a sense of hope, right, that balance each other. One hopes to be able to attain the infinite. One, one has a sense somehow that one is related to the infinite, even though one may feel extremely finite. So what I think we have to do, however, is take these two slopes and psychologize them to understand how they actually work uh, in, or maybe, maybe atmanologize them is a more accurate way of understanding. <laughs> so if we put the ego here and uh, archetypal powers here, primary archetypal power being the superego, and uh, what we have, because when we understand non-duality, of course, this is the self. The self empties itself out of all of its power, and uh, this is called kenosis in Christianity, it empties itself out of all of its, uh, the fullness of its being, of its uh, presence, and identifies merely with its uh, shell, its, its organismic shell, and, and then it projects upon the other, starting with the famous mother, uh, the archetypal powers that 
uh, it is under the influence of and submitted to on the horizontal level. So the ego is pulled in two directions. It wants what, uh, what is lost from God, but uh, what shows up on the horizontal plane are superego figures who have inherently a, uh, a projected sense of superiority in them that one is dependent upon. So in the postmodern period, most people don't even believe in God. They have switched their absolute dependency to the human other. So, and this shows up in the uh, loyalty to the family system. The family system becomes uh, the, uh, the proxy of God. And one of the reasons why uh, uh, there are so few uh, satyogis in the world is that uh, people cannot free themselves from the system. Now remember, the family system includes the social system, the national system, the ethnic system, and the religious system. And I think even a number of people here uh, are, are told by their families that if you're here, you're a traitor to, to the Jewish tribe. Or if they come from a Christian family, you're a traitor to Christianity to be here. You're a traitor to Buddhism, whatever, but, uh, or Islam. And we've had Islamic people here. And, and so uh, you're leaving the tribe and the religion, and you are literally guilty of treason. And so therefore, even though uh, what we are teaching is that you actually are here able to find the God that that religion is not taking you to. Because the Jewish or the Christian religion are telling you, be contented with being an ego. You're not allowed to find God, but settle for making a lot of money. Settle for having a lot of sex, having a lot of drug experiences, drink a lot of wine, do a lot of things, have fun, uh, enjoy the human life, but don't, uh, don't shoot for the, the divine life. That's madness, and that goes against what, what uh, our religion teaches, even though that's not actually true because the, the mystical, uh, saints and uh, the Hasidim, uh, all of, all of the, uh, the traditions uh, have uh, such uh, mystical uh, minorities who will teach that, but they have pretty much uh, died out or lost favor and, uh, and have, have fallen into corrupted forms. But you find that even, even in those religious uh, institutions that have been, uh, let's say, uh, uh, defamed through their own uh, scandalous uh, failure to live up to their uh, religious duties, like the Catholic Church, for example, uh, you don't find that the church has collapsed. You still have uh, plenty of Catholics. Uh, and, uh, and none of the, uh, the pedophilia scandals or the financial scandals or any of it seem to uh, have affected the church particularly, even though I'm sure many, many uh, Catholics have dropped out and looked for other uh, religious uh, venues to join, but uh, it still remains strong. Why? because the church is to the ego that has been indoctrinated into it an archetypal power, or the tribe that you are told that you have to be loyal to, the chosen people you can't unchoose. So the problem with the religions is every tribe says we are the special ones and the others are demonic or they will take you on a lower plane. And here we're teaching that we're all God. Everyone is, no matter what religion you belong to. The truth is, whether you know it or not, you are a manifestation of God. And, and no religion has any superiority over any other. Nor any person has any superiority over any other. 
And moreover, you are not the person you think you are. The only problem is that the ego doesn't recognize that it is God. Not that it is, uh, it, it is not God, but that the ego doesn't actually even exist. It's simply a fantasy. But if you remove the fantasy of the ego, what is left is pure consciousness, which is God. So when people ask the question, well, how do I get there? There is no how. Because the ego doesn't get there. The ego is an illusion that's left behind. And you realize no matter how bad the ego thinks it is, and it's a sinner in Rao Rao Narak and doesn't deserve God, that is the illusion. You are not the ego. But once you have given your loyalty over to the superego and to the religion and to the social system uh, and to the other in general, then you actually believe you are dependent upon them for your well-being, and then you feel you cannot afford to separate. Okay, so that's what keeps you in the hell realm. And in terms of, of relationality, uh, most people cannot leave their spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever they are projecting on the other, or even a future one that they hope to find, because they are projecting that that, uh, that girlfriend is going to be the goddess, or she is the goddess, and you better not leave her because you'll be devastated and bereft, and, uh, and you'll be uh, you know, totally uh, disempowered because she is the source of your power, or vice versa, obviously. And of course, it works in homosexual as well as heterosexual relationships. It's simply the projection upon the other that the source of your sense of goodness, that your sense of being even, depends on their approval, their love, their desire for you. That's what gives you a, a sense of being, a sense of meaning, a feeling of security, of feeling even of reality. Uh, that, that's the dependence. And because of that, then you add to it financial dependence and other uh, forms of dependence on, on people who have more money, and you become easily enslaved to uh, feeling like you need to butter them up and that you need to remain in an egoic state because you might need them one day and you better keep that back door open and therefore don't go too far in terms of separation. Now this is just as true if the family is atheist as if they are Jewish or Christian. You have to be loyal to atheism. It's just as much a religion as theism. And it's it, it, whatever the family system uh, has as its reality frame of reference, you have to be loyal to that or uh, internally you feel you have betrayed uh, the other who gave you birth, who, who, who is responsible for your life, to whom you owe everything. And then that gets projected later on the wife or the husband and even on the children and uh, on the ancestors going back however far, uh, you know, people uh, uh, want to claim a, a family history. You know, some families uh, go back to the, the people who came over on the Mayflower to the U.S. and uh, you've really got to be loyal to a lineage in that case, uh, or a lineage of, of people who are part of some elite uh, of, uh, of, of long ago in ancient Europe or in Mexico or wherever. There, there are these family lineages with their own heritage and histories and, and uh, uh, you have to be a, uh, a, a, a scion of these lineages. You have to be loyal and carry on the tradition in some way or else you have, uh, you have cut yourself off from the lifeline. So in some way, everyone who is in an ego state is in a state of dependency upon an other for their sense of goodness. And if they break with that, then they are going to feel a terrible sense of uh, being lost, shipwrecked, 
uh, without, uh, without any, uh, any hope or help in a world of enemies, in a world of beings from different tribes, you see, who, uh, who will not understand you or uh, give you a piece of bread when you're hungry. You gotta depend on only the ones from your tribe. How many people can relate to this? Right? It's not just a myth, or it is a myth, but it's a myth that is believed. And then you can't make a commitment to yourself in that state. You can't make a commitment to the real God. You cannot commit the act of entheogamy, as I would call it, the marriage to the God within that brings you to uh, the state of liberation. And by the way, the, uh, the, there, are, there are two interesting uh, uh, mythologems, I guess, in uh, India. You even have uh, uh, kirtan songs of, uh, that have the line, we're going from Nar to Narayan, right? We've all heard that one, I'm sure. So, Narayan, Narayana. The ayan, it's very interesting, this word, nara and ayana. And, and if you look it up in Sanskrit dictionaries, they have completely opposite meanings, one right after the other, and, and all of them apply to this very rich uh, construct. And I want to compare it then to another concept. That of uh, Ardha Narishvara. We'll get to that. Ardha, I think I spelled it right. Uh, with my handwriting, it doesn't matter. You can't tell anyway. Uh, but the, um, the Nar to Narayan. Nar means man. Uh, but nar or nara also means water. So the, the first question is, uh, what does the ayan mean? And uh, if you look ayan or ayana up, you will find that one of the first definitions is a shelter or a refuge. So uh, narayan is the refuge of man. But if you if you look at the uh, the epic the Nara, the uh, Ramayana, uh, there the Ayana is defined as the way or the charitra, the performance, the the whole uh, trajectory of Rama. In other words, of God, because Rama is God. Well, Narayana is also God in the sense of the primary avatar of Vishnu. So what we have here is, uh, so we could say what it really is, is the Tao of man. Meaning the entire developmental spectrum of human consciousness. But Nara also means water. And it means water in the sense of the primal waters of life, as in the, in the book of Genesis, where it was tohu vavohu, and, and God, uh, breathed over the waters in the darkness, but everything was unformed and empty. And Vishnu is lying asleep on the waters and the ocean of creation, but the creation hasn't happened yet. But through his dream, while he's asleep, the creation happens in the waters of consciousness, okay, itself. So uh, Narayana really means becoming awake in the waters of consciousness that enables you to redream a new world in the way that Vishnu dreams a world in which he appears in that world as the first avatar or Narayana. So that, uh, that other concept, Ardha Narishvara, again we see in the middle of it this word Nar, but it is ambiguous whether it refers to nar or nari. 
It could be Ardha Nari Ish, Ishvari, because sometimes it's, it's even an, an I, but it's usually the A, meaning it's either, it, it's either uh, translated as the God who is half woman or God who is half man. But the point is, the God is half man and half woman. It's, and it's that androgyny that's the issue because the, the main uh, enslavement to the phenomenal plane is the projection on whatever is considered the other sex, the other gender, the other pole of human uh, uh, essence that is outside of oneself. And that outsideness of the other that would make one whole, because if one identifies as either male or female, uh, one, uh, in other words, is projecting the other half of God outside of you onto the other. And therefore, you can never be free of needing the other in order to feel wholeness. To feel the totality of God consciousness, you can only do that as a couple, according to that scenario of mythology. But of course, that's never the truth. And so until one has recognized that you are Ardha Narishvara, you are half man, half woman. You are both, and that there has been a unification of those two polarities. Until that happens, you will be trapped in an electromagnetic field of desire that you will not be able to escape because you have projected out onto the other as being the source of the wholeness that releases you from the sense of lack. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is the psychological trap that people are in. And this is the whole reason for all of this transgender stuff that's happening now, but that's happening on too low, uh, uh, obviously, a body level. But we must indeed become transgender in the sense of unifying these two polarities of being, the masculine and the feminine, within, internally, as uh, elements of consciousness that must be integrated completely into one whole unity. And it's only through that internal act of unification of these polarities, including the polarities of superego with all of those other levels of uh, submission to powers that one feels one does not have within oneself that will grant one swatantriya or independence, freedom from the other, freedom to realize oneself without needing the approval of the other, and without uh, desire for the other or fear of the other, because when desire goes, then fear goes. But as long as there is desire, there will be fear and one will be trapped in enmeshment in the family system, whether externally or internally. And so everyone who has come to live here has at least superficially broken away externally, but not internally. Hardly anyone has broken away internally. And then to take the next level of breaking away from the otherness that, that is the, the gender difference that provides the motivation of the ego to find its, uh, its other uh, half, its media narana. And the nar in narana comes from the Sanskrit, by the way, it does. Uh, and, and it comes in it both as man and as water because the naranha is naranha because it's juicy, it's got that water. Uh, and so if you find that uh, 
that syllable of nar, it's there in a lot of, uh, of fruits that are watery and uh, of other aspects of, uh, of life that have that uh, liquefying uh, uh, capacity. Thales, by the way, the, one of the first Greek philosophers who said everything ultimately was water, he was referring to this, the waters of consciousness, and to this ancient mythology that the flowing of water was the materialization of the consciousness that was the feeling function because it was able to move in all directions and feel its way around all obstacles. So the, the, the trap of feeling you are nar but not narayana, you do not yet have the Tao that enables you to leave behind those archetypal powers that you are stuck to and still trying to satisfy and get the approval of internally or trying to run away from and be safe from in a fight or flight modality or in some other way in some internal struggle with. Uh, this is what, what is constituting most of the psychological resistances to attaining God consciousness. The illusion of dependency on the phenomenal other upon whom you have projected archetypal powers that they do not have. <clears throat> so the way to free yourself is to accept the mantra that is given as a free get out of jail card by all of the Vedic sages that is simply in the form of tatvamasi or shivoham or brahmasmi. I am that, you are that. In other words, you don't have to do anything to become that. You just have to realize that you're not the ego that doesn't think it's that. But you see, no one dares think, I am Shiva, oh no. And indeed, if you take I am Shiva on the level of ego, you will go into a major inflationary psychosis. But if you understand that what that really means is that the ego is not who you are, and you enter into pure consciousness, you are free of all of these psychological dependencies, weaknesses, and feeling of lack that are part of the illusion that you have projected through falling into identification with the bodily vehicle. And all of that can be easily uh, released. You can be released from Tartarus just by recognizing that you were never there in the first place. It is a fantasy. But it's a fantasy of the density of the vibrational frequency of the physical body. And once you identify with that, you have lost touch with the more subtle vibrational frequencies that give you the power of ascension and of the the realization of infinity and eternity and of freedom from fear and desire. That freedom, that empowerment comes only through the silencing of the ego mind, which is a stream of reinforcements that you are the body. You have to cut those hypnotic suggestions that you are simply the bodily creature in order to be able to have the space in which your freedom can be metabolized and, and realized fully by bringing the light of God consciousness fully into the organism and turning the body and the consciousness that is operating the body into the holy temple of God's presence. And then one lives in the world in freedom. Now how you do this is that you have to actually enact it in what Campbell calls the hero's journey. You have to actually take risks. The greater the risk you take in the service of the truth, of God, 
of love, of freedom, the greater the risk you take, the more magical your world becomes. And if you risk everything on attaining God consciousness, you will be given the magic, the miraculous, the open door into that dimension of God consciousness that is here but is not open to you as long as you believe you're an ego. But the only way you'll be able to go through that door is by risking letting go of the other, letting go of all connection to otherness and duality and body consciousness and all of the dreams that your ego has created for success and happiness in this world, none of which will come true so long as you are identified as an ego. And why head for ultimate disappointment and devastation when you can have bliss? But right now, everyone should know, if they don't already, that no dreams based on the capitalist system are going to bring you uh, success. It's a collapsing system. So people who are doing things hoping that their plans will bring them a lot of money and will bring them all kinds of, uh, of, of the fruits of their efforts on the physical plane of security and happiness and all of that, none of that is going to work out. In fact, none of any sorts of plans are going to work out now in life except the plan to reach God consciousness. Nothing else can work. The system is rigged so that everyone can return to the Rig Veda of original consciousness and become free. That's what this moment means. When the powers of darkness are transiting away and the powers of light are coming into a new restoration of the rain. There's, been a, there's a handover of power from the darkness to the light, and the capitalist forces are the powers of darkness. They ain't going to be there in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to get the transmission of that new order that is being created, there has to be a transition of your own uh, location within the order of the functioning of consciousness as a world in a mode that is one of total generosity. You have to become Kalyan Murti. That's the key to being able to move forward in the world with richness, with real wealth. Because no matter how well anyone is doing right now in the capitalist system, at any moment it could collapse suddenly and their money is worth nothing. And it's very important for people who are building their lives on the belief that money is real should know they're building their lives as a house of cards on sand that will be liquefied with the first earthquake of the financial system. The only rock to build your abode on is God consciousness. Okay, there's more that I could say about that, but I think I will leave that there. Okay, the floor is open if anyone wants to comment on any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, <clears throat> I want to make sure I understand this, uh, which I understood it to be that there are these two um, forces or reasons uh, that human beings are attracted to God or to religion. The yearning for infinity and the absolute dependency, but these are fallen or they get misdirected. Mm -hmm. And they both get directed into the superego, or I didn't, I didn't quite understand. 
They're either directed into the superego or into the projection of archetypal powers on things like ayahuasca or other uh, temporary phenomenal changes of consciousness. That, uh, that, that the reason why so many people have made ayahuasca into the new religion, and it's now the Holy Communion. You, you take your, your ayahuasca as your new uh, wine and wafer. Uh, the reason is you don't have to cut any of your connections to your biological family, to your desire for money, for sex, for anything else. It's a temporary release, and then you go back to business. And so it enables you to have some venting of the ego's misery into some illusion of an artificial paradise, as Charles Baudelaire put it in one of his books, and then go back to the drudgery of Tartarus, but with some renewed energy that you touched into the infinite. But it's a delusion. And w what it does is stunt your growth because it gives you a sense that that's it. You know, but ayahuasca, DMT, none of it is the real Godhead. Uh, God consciousness is nothing like that. That's a, an imaginary version of transcendence. And, and none of the drugs, whether it's ketamine or MDMA or any of the others, will give you anything other than an illusion. So it's projected on those kinds of phenomenal experiences, and it's projected on others whom we have uh, projected as being mana objects, mana, M-A-N-A, -A, not the two ends, that's mana of the, the, uh, the desert of the Israelites, but meaning uh, uh, beings that we project they have the God consciousness and I don't, right? M many people think of Amaji and they'll go and stand in line for 20 hours to get two seconds of a hug from her and, and be, have their face pushed into everybody else's lipstick and come out with it because they've all been, you know, hugging her and, and getting... And, and, and they'll feel, ah, I've touched the goddess, you know, I've been hugged by the goddess, I am uh, saved, you know, or, or some other guru. Uh, don't buy into gurus. That's not how you're going to get out of here. You're going to get out of here by you realizing you are Shiva, not projecting it on anyone else. You should have reverence for those who have had that realization, but what are their teachings? They're not saying, I'm Shiva and you're my slave, ha, ha, ha. No, they're saying you are that. Anyone who is a true sage is sharing the wealth, all right? That's, that's exactly what, uh, what a true uh, a spiritual tradition is. It's a karmic credit card company. And the problem with the ego is it doesn't give itself enough credit. And so a sage will come along and say, here's a bunch of credit. You are God incarnate. Now go for it, okay? Get rid of all of those ego delusions of unworthiness and all of that. Use the credit and, and get yourself out of karmic debt, right? That's what, what this is all about. But nobody wants to use the credit. People enjoy their debts and they accumulate more and more debt because they are loyal to being debted, debtors and indebted to these phenomenal plane others that they give all the credit to, all right? Does that make sense? It's, it's a simple uh, psychic eco economic problem. And the psychic economy of the ego is crashing just as the global economy is, and there's nothing there anymore. The, the family system has no love to give. And even if they have money to give, it ain't gonna last very long, and you'd be unwise to depend on that as the source of your security. And a lot of strings are attached to it, aren't they? Right? Okay. If you wanna pay that price, fine. But uh, it's not a very smart thing to do if you want liberation. Yeah. Talk a little louder. Oh, come closer then. I want to hear you. I can't hear you. Put, put a zafu here. Can we have a zafu for? Uh, or put it over here. Yeah. Come, come sit here. Durga, G. Here, sit here. Okay, thank you for this graphic. Mm -hmm. um, it helped me to understand how the collapse of the archetypal powers uh, is what brought me here, in a way, because mm. family didn't work, so all the disasters of the family 
were blessings. Now I see like that. I could see they, they really were not reliable mm -hmm. for money, especially. Mm -hmm. Love I didn't expect, but literally they were not even reliable, reliable for that. Like they were not going to give me that either. So same with the government collapsing, same with financial system collapsing in 2008. I think mm -hmm. I saw money literally disappearing. Mm -hmm. People who thought it had a lot. So it was really useful to see this this triangle connection. Mm -hmm. And if if one is with the archetype of powers, it's going to collapse with it. But mm -hmm. where I don't understand how to get out of that triangle. Shiva hum. <laughs> you want to get to the top of the triangle. But with what route? You are there already. <laughs> Why aren't people getting this? You don't have to get there. It's only your belief that you're not there that you have to let go of. That's what you are stuck believing in. It's a delusion. You're psychotic. You're God, but you're psychotic. Okay? But why are you psychotic? Because you believe a psychotic ego that believes it's not God. Take a chance on being psychotic and believing you're God. But not as the ego, not as this bodily form, but your pure consciousness that is the perceiver of the form and of the thoughts in the mind. That is God. Stay there with a silent mind and you'll find you're in Satchitananda. And believe you, but why doesn't it happen? <laughs> you don't believe it. No, if you really believed it, it would happen. Because if you ask yourself, what am I thinking about, rather than being in silence, I'm sure it's those archetypal powers that you still want to feel connected and enmeshed with. Pseudo-archetypal powers. Otherwise, all of your thoughts would go to Shiva consciousness. And the thoughts would dissolve in, into an intuitive presence that knows everything. You wouldn't need to think. You wouldn't want to think. It is so wonderful not to think and to just be. Why don't you give yourself a holiday? Yeah. I deserve a holiday. You deserve a holiday. Everyone yes. loves. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. That's all it takes. Try Thank it, you. okay? Thank you. Good. Next one. Yeah, yeah. Come on. No, no. You have to sit up here. That's the new rule. Gods should come to the front. So... Yeah, I can really relate with the, this is Tartarus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because a question I had was that, like, this whatever intelligence or non-intelligence feels like consciousness or the Tao or the Ayana mm -hmm. is the hell room. Because it means, like, to be without this body, which I'm not proud of, by the way, it's just if it, there's an assumption that it's going to be a, a hell ride. But your hell ride is being in the body. Exactly. That was, that, that was the realization just now. Well, that's a good one. I'm glad to hear it. But it's, you know, it's happening. It's like not fully complete. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, let's say tomorrow a snake bites this body, it's out. That, frankly, is pretty scary. Why? You'll be in bliss. But it's like, what I would feel is like, I'm just looking for the body. Like, where's the body? You know, like, where's, like, yeah. a, like a crab without its shell. Well, like, that's because you're in a, a state of consciousness identified with the body, yes. and you've projected on the body that it is the archetypal power that you depend on for life. Yes, yes. Well, you dreamed this body, and you can dream <laughs> another one if you really want one. I don't suggest you dream another one mm -hmm. while it's still Kali Yuga. I would say wait and then come down as Narayana, not as Nar again. Mm -hmm. But you don't need the body. You, between bodies, you're in bliss, in the light. You know, if you want to come back, you can, but you shouldn't feel like you need to or you're dependent on the body. What about hellish bardos? But that's only if you believe you're the body, you'll go to a bardo like that. And the bardos are there to rip the body <laughs> apart so that you are free of that belief. So why go through that? Why not just let that delusion die right now? 
You have nothing to lose. I mean, all all it means is take a holiday from thinking, and and you'll realize you're not the body. A lot to gain, everything, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, well, thank you. Is that all you wanted to express to the group? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I'm very grateful for that. Right. You've taught it recently, and, uh, but I, there's been a denial of how much mm. this ego vibe is, is a hell realm. Because you're projecting the archetypal other, you're projecting the woman as the goddess. And so you need to have this body to attract a, a female body, mm. and you think that that will give you the wholeness that you lack. Mm. And that's what you're enslaved to. And, and that, that creates all of the glitches in the ego and prevents it from loving God, because you've projected your desire onto the female other. So the solution? Ardhanarishvara. <laughs> Realize that you are half woman. Uh -huh. and, uh, and have the feminine and the masculine archetypal energies within you mate and consummate their union, and then you'll be free of desire. Entheogamy. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Oh. Try it. How? How? <laughs> love your, love should I, should yourself. I dress half woman, half man? No, because it's not physical. It's an energy. Mm -hmm. If you ask yourself, what is it really about the feminine that attracts you? It's not body parts. It's something else that you're yeah. projecting, right? You have the answer already. Can you tell it to me? It's, it's important that you find it for yourself in your mm -hmm. own heart, what you're looking for. If I tell you, it'll short-circuit your own discovery of what you're searching for. But the Great Mother is not out there. The Great Mother is the womb of creation that is your own consciousness. Empty out the consciousness of all thoughts, and, and allow yourself to be in that womb, in total emptiness, mm -hmm. and that emptiness will be filled by the God-Self, and Shiva and Shakti will be one as your own united consciousness that will then be free and liberated of all needs. Okay. Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now why would the poor in spirit be the ones who get the kingdom of heaven? I can understand if it says, okay, the poor in money, because money isn't important, but you can be rich in spirit, and then the rich in spirit will get the kingdom of heaven. Why is it that the poor in spirit get it? What is meant by this? Doesn't it go against everything we've just taught, that you need to get out of karmic debt, you need to have spiritual wealth, you need to be able to undo the sense of dependency by feeling your own empowerment with the treasure of uh, the divine light, etc. So, what does it mean that you're more fortunate to be poor in spirit? That that's what gets you to the kingdom? Who, who uh, has an idea? Yeah. Closer to hopelessness of the Holy Going Project, so in a way, more of a desire for God? I think it's not only a hopelessness about those things, it's a hopelessness even about uh, spiritual things. You see, I, what I think today is the problem is that most people believe they're rich in spirit because they take ayahuasca every month or because they uh, are, are doing some other uh, spiritual so-called practice that amounts to uh, spiritual materialism, to go back to what the, uh, that famous Rinpoche said uh, back in the 70s or something, was a trungpa. Uh, but uh, the, the issue is this, 
To be pure in spirit means you have let go of all of your ideas of spirituality. Because every idea you have about spirit is false. The very ideas that you have are the obstacles to attaining spirit. So people who know a lot about religion or a lot about philosophy or a lot about metaphysics are too rich in spirit to get the kingdom of heaven. They prefer the kingdom of discourse, the kingdom of symbolic understanding. I speak from experience, believe me. So uh, get rid of that false knowledge if you want to attain the kingdom of heaven. You have to enter the state of emptiness where you're not believing you know anything. And until you get to that absolute emptiness, the kingdom of heaven will not show its face. Okay, does all this make sense to, uh, to people? You're all as crazy as I am? It's hard to believe there are that many people as crazy as I am, but uh, I'm glad to know it. I hope you are also as poor in spirit, if not even totally impoverished, because that's the way. And one has to be impoverished in such a way that you prefer your poverty to any kind of pseudo-knowledge that comes in any form, whether it's language or whether it's imagery that comes in altered states of consciousness, because whatever experiences or imperiences you're having, whether in a state of consciousness not drug-induced or that is drug-induced, it's irrelevant. All of it is maya. And you have to recognize that. In order to, uh, to let go of, of, of that false uh, belief that you have glimpsed God or you've had a vision or because certain numbers have turned up on the clock recently that God is giving you messages, or because uh, of other kinds of superstitious uh, events that you're putting together as misunderstandings of coincidences and turning them into narratives, or because you believe in astrology, or you've run the I Ching and it's told you things. It's not that astrology is false. Astrology actually will give you a lot of information, but information that will be of no help to you whatsoever in getting free of the ego. It may tell you exactly accurately how your ego is constituted. So what? The point is you're not your ego, and it will not free you from that illusion. So if you fall for the temptations of studying astrology or any other form of divinization, divination, not divinization, if you study any form of, uh, of attempt to have some esoteric knowledge about reality, to have a step up to know what stocks to buy tomorrow because you, you did the I Ching and it told you, you know, buy GM or whatever. <laughs> Uh, that would be a mistake. I can tell you that without even throwing the things. But uh, you need to know that you shouldn't trust any of these limited lower powers. They do not have jurisdiction over the uh, flow of karma. And they cannot predict the future with any accuracy. And you don't want to be one of those who thought uh, the world was coming to an end in 2000 or 2012 or whenever, because it didn't happen, did it? So uh, don't go for those kinds of false prophecies or depend on them. Uh, that's not the way to understand what is happening. And the only way it can be understood is with a mind that has attained the emptiness that is the only access point to the supreme knowledge. And that will give you the real coin of the realm. Everything else is counterfeit. I just want to say, your, for example, your personality strategies, these are kind of archetypal, right? Okay. So it's a way of using archetypes to come out of them, right? Well, except the strategies don't get you out of it. But there's a reason for studying them. 
Well, we're studying them so you see the kind of costume that you're wearing and the games you're playing. But say it's the same approach with astrology and that can be the same approach. If your approach is to have a one-up on anything, that would be a bad reason to do anything, I would say. Okay. But it can offer the same approach as studying a personality strategy and studying this. I don't think so. The reason why I think it's different is that people who study astrology believe this is who you are and this is your character and this is uh, your fate. But it's not. It's a game that you can stop playing at any moment. So to think of it as a strategy rather than something destined from the stars is a very important distinction to make. And that's why I don't say that the strategies are archetypal. They are totally based on the ego, not on the archetypes. And they are, are a corrupted form of, of self-understanding that is used as a weapon and, and a defense against having to relate honestly with others or with yourself. So it is a way to eliminate this a kind of false knowledge. But you don't want to use it and, and then stay addicted to a strategy. You want to see it and then drop it. Otherwise, you're, you're just playing a game and you're not using the knowledge in an appropriate way. Yes? It's not that I want to compare, you know, and to what is better or not. It's just that now that uh, the astrology subject is on the table, I want to compare it with the, nat the power of nature as well. Um, that astrology is more like out there, you know, and nature is more like here and feel as up and power. So can it be also like a source that, that lifts one up in lower levels, let's say, of realization instead of getting the higher level? Sure, but that's the problem. You think that that's, that's uh, an uplifting, but the heavy lifting hasn't even begun and they become uh, dead ends that people become addicted to and their lives can be about astrology or about any of these other side paths that don't lead to liberation. So you want to be careful not to waste your time. And it becomes very addictive because there, there are immediate benefits and there are social benefits by telling other people what you know about them because you did their astrological chart and and you can see things, and they're impressed. And so it leads to uh, karmic enmeshment at a certain level of unreality that, that uh, because it gives you certain rewards, you tend to return to again and again, and then you forget why you're really here and who you really are, and, uh, and you're still in Tartarus. You know, so why uh, settle for that? I guess it's just better to, like, Go to the river, right? And like give oneself to God, uh, you know, with the power of the water and, and the elements that are here physically. Sure, but it's the water of consciousness you, you have to go to. There are a lot of people who go to the physical river, but they don't reach God. So it's important not to depend on rivers either, or, or mountains, or anything. It's all within you, and once you know that, then you're free. Of, of any sense that, uh, oh, I'm not feeling good, I got to go to the river, because you don't want to depend on anything for Satchitananda except your own being. Okay, I hope this has been useful. The only intention is to help you uh, realize that you are already liberated. Stop believing you're not. <laughs> I can't convince anybody to let go of the delusion, but it's a fact. One day it will dawn and uh, freedom will be the truth of your situation. But until you have decided to awaken from the delusion, there is no reason to ask how to do it because there is no how. It's a decision that you take. And once that decision is made, you're free. There's no how to make a decision. It's a choice that you can make at any moment and you are liberated because you are already liberated. 
but you have to stop believing that you are the ego or have any interest in what the ego offers you, which is mostly suffering. And bliss is your true nature, your birthright, and it's available here and now. What do you got against bliss? Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.